yes, my father was very challenging, but don't I want to get to know him and have some love with him before he leaves this realm? And I actually spent the last week of his life with him. I was like his death doula, helping him go to the other side. I tended to him. I, at one point, I washed his members-only jacket, and I was like, yeah, honey, he ain't putting that on again. He's not walking out of here. But it was a sign of care. one person actually make a difference in unifying the entire world? What are some tools I can use to live a life of more freedom? These are just some of the concepts you'll hear about in every episode of See One Beautiful Soul. Howdy, it's Barbara Heller again. Welcome back to See One Beautiful Soul. This week, my guest is Kara Buller. If you haven't suggested this podcast to somebody else, please do. Please subscribe. Make sure you've already subscribed and you've left us a review on iTunes. That would make us so very happy. We would love to spread the good word about this podcast, and the only way to do it is through you. So if you haven't subscribed yet, please do on iTunes or Spotify. If you haven't left us a review yet on iTunes, please do so. It really makes a huge difference. If you know someone who might want to sponsor an episode, let us know. And if you think that someone could benefit from any of these episodes, please do forward it. If you're not on our mailing list yet and you'd like to get our emails and see what we're up to every week and see who the next guest is going to be, please go ahead and send us an email at info at barbheller.com or find us on our Facebook pages. We have the Facebook page, See One Beautiful Soul, the podcast, and the See One Beautiful Soul fans of the podcast, which is a community. You can post on either page on Facebook. Uh, We'd love to see you and be in touch with you there. If you have something inspirational, something you were thinking about, something that this community would really appreciate and resonate with, don't be ashamed. Don't be scared say it, share it, and uh, maybe it'll start a revolution, which is what we want to do with this podcast. We want to unite America again. We want to unite the world again. And the only way to do that is to start seeing the beauty in others and sharing how you feel about it and seeing some more beauty and sharing some more. If you haven't picked up a copy of And Then One Day the World Coughed, which is a book that I wrote either on Kindle or in paperback copy, you can find that at amazon.com. I hear it's a pretty frequent website. And if you'd like to be a participant in Find Creative Clarity, you can go to findcreativeclarity.com, which is an eight-week course that I do. It is ongoing. We already started this cohort. It's going great. It's so amazing to see new people popping in and just exploding with creativity in the best ways, making new friends, sharing awesome feelings about who they are and what they love about themselves, and then sharing more creativity and creating things within an eight-week period. It's it's insane. There's like albums being made, children's books being authored, movie scripts being written, social justice projects being created and a whole slew of other wonderful things. Uh, I would highly encourage you to check out a taste of the class coming up soon, and you can always email me with questions about that. My guest today is Kara Buller. She's a stand-up comic who's appeared on NBC's Last Comic Standing and Lifetime Television. She's also been written up in Vanity Fair magazine, easily the funniest. And she was a columnist for Bust Magazine for five years. She was a semifinalist in New York City's She Devil Comedy Festival and is the host of The Kara Buller Show on YouTube and Instagram. She's performed at the Karen Foundation, the Culligan Water Company, Ohio University, Stratton Mountain Women's Week, and 
and comedy clubs all over the U.S. She really is a fantastically resilient woman, and what I love about her is that more than comedy, she is committed to her own personal growth and making the world a better place through comedy, which I think is uncommon and beautiful to see. So without further ado, here is my chat with the great Cara Buller. Cara Buller. Sounds Barbara Heller. Barbara Heller, Cara Buller. You are a comedian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And tell me when you realized that you wanted comedy all the time. Like when, when was that? You're like, I'm going to be a comedian. <laughs> That's it. Hmm. How old were you? I think I was in my 20s. A friend of mine was doing Second City. I was like, that's kind of old. That's old. <laughs> you weren't funny until you were 20? That's so weird. Well, there was there was a moment. There's like a seminal moment where uh, my sister had issues. I had issues. Darkness in the family. Okay. Overdoses. Trauma. Skipping on through that. Okay, we'll, we'll go back there. Okay, okay. There were these Lancome ads with Isabella Rossellini and she would be like, Lancome, System Montage. And then her face would like move up towards the moon and it would crack us up. And I would just go, Lancome, System Montage. And like, um, it's like system anti, anti-age. Yeah. They, they're Frenching up, like, also you don't want to age. Aging is bad. Or there's just so much packed into this stupid Lancome ad. Yeah. And my sister and I just had so much fun making fun of it. And so I think I was like, oh, I can make my sister laugh. And she's like so depressed all the time and not doing well. And it was clear that comedy has this ability to bring one to to a really good place out of of the darkness and into the light, you know? Yeah. Jim Carrey, Gene Wilder, they both were famous for that, like making their moms happier. So that is definitely like something that happens with a lot of comedians. I also do stand-up comedy, but it's sort of like an offshoot of what I do because I do impressions. So I worked at the comedy store a bunch of times in LA and like worked in New York as a comedian. I still like laugh at that because it's so not really who I am. Like I would much rather teach a mindfulness class. It's really just the other side of the coin. It's like when I do comedy in my cabaret shows or when I'm doing stand-up comedy, it's really to kind of transform the room from like a sad place to more light filled place. But I really want people to think about the words that I'm saying and not because I want them to think about me. I want to inspire change. Like that's what I'm always doing. So this is, this could be perceived as like a super serious podcast. It's like, see one beautiful soul, see it. But at the same time, like I have comedians on, I've already had like four and we've only just begun. We've only just begun because I think that the funniest people are the deepest people. So I've, I've only seen a few of your videos. I was introduced to you by my friend, Danny Gowan, who was on here recently. I can just see how good you are. You're like, you have so much goodness just like oozing out of you. What is your intention? Oh, to bring love and light and, and just to give people a good time, you know, have, have fun. Is that too many? No, that's amazing. Love and light is good and and having fun is awesome. And no, that it's all and it's all part of the same thing. I think that you do that. I can see that. So let's let's go back a little further in your life. So where did you come from that you had to forgive? Well, my mother and my father are the two biggies. Me too. Yeah. Can you believe it? Nope. (laughs) And I think I was 
And it's an ongoing process of accepting their choices. I think I was in my 30s. I'm in addiction recovery. I got sober when I was 30. And through that process, there's this letting people be who they are. It's saying they did the best they could given who they came from. Everyone's just doing the best they can. And that concept that my dad, given the toolkit that he had from Mennonites in Kansas who are maybe workaholics and trying to get through the dust bowl, they were just- What's a Mennonite? I don't know what that means. A Mennonite, it's related to the Amish. It's Uh a, a part of the Anabaptist movement, a very pared down Protestant sect. Got it. So very simple, live close to the earth, live simply. No electricity if you can do it. No plugging in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um. That's, I mean, it's beautiful. That's why I love Shabbat because like I, I try to unplug my phone for 25 hours a week and it always feels like I'm coming back from a spa. It's like, ah. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. There's a deep healing or re- re- reset. So what were, if you don't mind talking about it, what were some of the choices that you had to forgive of your parents growing up? Oh, this is a wonderful line from my mom. So I told my mom, I was maybe 13, and I told her we were on a walk, and I said, I think there's something wrong with dad. Like, I think that maybe, just maybe, like, he's so angry and violent, and I think he's destroying our family. I think you should leave him, or maybe you should leave him. And she said, oh, but he's so good in bed. And my mom is like this prudish Lutheran church lady. And this was the first time I've ever heard, well, that my father's good in bed. I didn't need to hear that. So she- Wait, how old were you? 13, maybe okay. or 12. Well, you were like, old enough. Old enough. <laughs> so she's choosing her, she gets her drug of choice, which is my handsome dad, And meanwhile, her three kids are like scared of this guy. You know, our self-esteem is like diminishing each day based on the way he treats us. And my mom is just like, nothing's wrong. You know, let's go to church. So my mom, you know, to, to forgive my mom for that kind of like selfishness and obliviousness, that was a choice that she made. Oh, how much bravery for you at 13, because they, they always say, like all the studies have shown that kids would rather their parents stay together and work it out than have the broken family. Even even though it's so normal for parents to get divorced, most kids would still love to see their parents work it out and change and grow because we pick them. It says in the Kabbalah, like we pick our parents and there's so many other, I think, sources of wisdom that, that tell us that. And it's something to believe some people don't believe that. I, I can't prove that it's true, but I've seen it happen over and over again. I'm like, oh, that, oh, look at that correction in that, this lifetime. Like, and I don't think I could pick my friend's parents. There's moments that I want to, but I think I picked mine for really good reasons that I needed to fulfill in this lifetime. So if that's the case, I think there's a part of us that's like, no, 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 you guys can do it. I picked you for a reason. Like, work it out, you know? <laughs> So the fact that you could say to your mom, like, I think you should leave him, like that just, whoa, the bravery you had. Yeah, it might have been a wise sense that we're, we're in danger or like yeah. this is like a really yeah. bad situation on some level 
spiritual plane. I cared about my dad and wanted him to have transformation and healing. So we needed to survive. We were turning into addicts or we were turning into the suicidal, like it was bad. And this guy needed to go on his journey. I think I felt like a separation would be good. So it didn't happen. It never happened. (laughs) But Whoa. Okay. And so what were some of the dad's choices? It sounds like he was violent. He, was he physically abusive? Was he just mean and nasty or all of the above? My dad was very tightly wound. He was very quiet and very tense. And one time I had, um, I was doing watercolors. I was maybe, I don't know how old I was, maybe 11 or 12. And I left my watercolor, like, ball jar what do you call it a mason jar like where I had my brushes I left it out on the windowsill and he accidentally knocked it over later and he's like who did this who left their jar out and he's like get in here and fix this and he accidentally hit me or he accidentally like in his anger he hit me and the next day he bought me a t-shirt that said french fries He like, he worked in Chicago. He must've gone into Marshall Fields and bought this t-shirt. And I was, he was like, I'm so sorry about yesterday. In Mennonite world, you are not to be angry. I think part of the problem is that there is this inability to know how to work with emotions and big emotions. Right. Keep it all wrapped up. So it becomes. Yeah. And he, I think he felt a lot of shame that he kind of exploded. And then he bought me this shirt And I never wore the shirt, like it was too scary. But other people I know have much worse stories about violent parents. Oh, yeah. Um, But I think it was the threat of violent. It was the sense that at any moment he He could explode. explode. Yeah. It sounds like you escaped with your life from this very challenging situation. And you have forgiven, it sounds like, both your parents What was the catalyst for forgiveness for you? I think carrying around all that anger was so painful for me. And I'd rather have, you know, there's this in recovery, they say, well, maybe it's not just recovery, but do you want to be right? Or do you want to be close? Like, I never, um, I heard happy, but not close. What does close mean? intimacy, like a relationship. Yes, my father was very challenging, but don't I want to get to know him and have some love with him before he leaves this realm? And so I had maybe 10 years of having a good relationship with my dad, of showing up for him, talking with him on the phone, and actually spent the last week of his life with him. I was like his death doula, helping him go to the other side. Wow. I tended to him and played music for him, read cowboy stories to him, combed his hair. I, at one point, I washed his members-only jacket, and I was like, hey, honey, he ain't putting that on again. He's not walking out of here, you know? And um, but, but it was a sign of care. It was a sign of, like, I'm caring for his belongings, I'm so grateful I forgave him. Also, there's this idea, how am I like this person? Do I do what they do? I have a temper. I have my dad's temper. I have my dad's quiet, believe it or not. Like, I have his social awkwardness. He was the guy who was always like, I'll be in the car. At the mall, anything, like, he's done. He'll be by himself in the car while the ladies do whatever. And 
I get that. The cave you fear to enter is the cave that holds your treasure. Like mm-hmm. this, this I, I think I intuitively knew that I needed to go there, that I needed to forgive him in order to transform myself. Right. It's like the never ending story when Sebastian goes all the way to those, like through the tunnel and, you know, he's got to go, you know, or when Daniel's son in Karate Kid, which is my other favorite movie to quote, if I don't go in there, he'll never have balance. Not with Allie, <laughs> not with them, not with me. Like he has to go back in the ring. Yeah. And yeah. so what was that like for you? Oh, it was so fun. I mean, in a way, I mean, fun is kind of a weird word to use, but I remember making my amends in, in recovery world. You go back and you make usually direct amends if you can face to face. And I apologized to my dad for stealing money from him. In a way, it's this sort of paradoxical thing where if I apologize to him, I'm set free. Like in my taking ownership for my bad behavior, he gets to do whatever bad behavior he wants. I want to let go of my bad behavior. So I apologized to him for stealing $20. I would steal like $20 at a time from their dresser. And he was like, oh man, he was like shocked and appalled that I was stealing $20. And one of my comedian friends and I laugh about this. I'm like, dad, you should hear the other amends. <laughs> like you did okay, dad. Like uh, this 20 bucks is nothing. Like you you got off easy. Also, he, it was cute. Like he knew what, when I was doing my amends, like uh, we were on a family trip once to like go swimming. And I was like, oh, can you pull the car over to go to this thrift store? And I had this folder with me. It was like my amends letters folder. And he's like, oh, do you have to read? Because re- I read letters to people. Like I apologize for my behavior. And uh, he's like, oh, you got one of those letters? You got to read it to the thrift store? And I was like, yep, I, I stole from the thrift store. And he's like, oh boy. And uh, it, he was like teasing me about it, which was kind of sweet or fun. And I remember one time he actually said I was going to an AA meeting. I'm not in AA, but I, I go to their open meetings in my hometown if I need a little spiritual care. And and he's like, why do you go to those AA meetings? And I said, I get peace there. I get serenity. And he yeah. goes, maybe I should go with you sometime. <laughs> Did he ever go? No. Did he have an addiction? I think he was a work addict. He was always doing stuff on the house or reading or some way, this obsession with productivity, mm-hmm. this Protestant, or maybe, you know, it's an yeah, a lot more definitely. Lutheran also. Yeah, is like, keep it moving. Also, I think there's a fear. You've talked about this, the fear of stillness or like the fear, what will happen if I just sit still? Yeah. Like, will will we lose the farm? You know, I think it's kind of deep in our DNA. Will we get, there's also religious persecution in my DNA, like some trauma with with the Mennonites. They had to keep moving because we're an unacceptable, according to mainstream Christianity, you know, un- rebels. Yeah, burn them at the stake, you know, kill them, shoot them, you know? So they have a difference in opinion. Oh, please. Let's get rid of these guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I believe in freedom of speech so that we can listen to each other. I don't believe in freedom of speech just because everyone needs a microphone. You know, like sometimes when I hear these people and I actually listen to some of these, these people that have like a three hour talk show every day. I'm like, oh my God, three hours. That's like a lot of time for one person to share words. 
Like I know when I start talking, sometimes I'll hear the echo when I'm done. I'm like, oh, did I, I really hope I didn't, you know, cause we can either destroy the world or build it with our words, but three hours of time a day is a lot of time to screw up. And humans have a small place for margin of error. They constantly are making mistakes. So that kind of freedom of speech, I'm not really into. I think we should be thinking a little bit more about what we say, but this whole idea of cancel, I talk about this on almost every episode because it's, it's probably one of the things that drove me to do this is I can't stand the divisiveness and the canceling. And you just said it so well. It's like, kill them. Who needs, they have a difference in a, no way, they don't deserve to be here. You know, like I, I hate to say it's, it's equal, but it feels sometimes equal with seeing some of my friends on Facebook. I don't say a word, I just watch. I don't get in it. I always try to take the conversation back to spirit, but especially with political beliefs or rights and freedoms, when I see someone say, oh, too bad, got to delete you now. We were friends. Oh, well, you know, it's like, no, don't you see? That's the moment of opportunity where you could actually like love someone, even with their belief systems being the way that they are so that you get to put yourself in check and once in a while I'll go, huh, I wonder what that point of view looks like. I will admit that there are some times that I hear something about a certain political party or a certain person and I say, that's it. Anybody who voted for that, I can't be friends with that. Like that is crossing, I cannot be friends with them. This is so against my value system. And I realize that that's when I'm kind of obviously like a nine out of 10 on the emotional. Yeah. I really do see myself or want to be a practicing Buddhist. I'm right now reading the Tibetan book of living and dying. And there is in Buddhism, this idea of openness and non-attachment. And we, right. do, I don't know beginner's mind. They talk right. about beginner's <laughs> mind and really like if I'm so fired up that I'm in a dangerous place then. Right. Yeah. I'm breaking away from my brother and sisters on this planet yeah. and seeing them as the enemy, as the other. And now we're getting into the stuff of that historically has led to yeah, genocide That's and war. Yeah. And the, yeah, yeah. Everything that is, there's no room for you. So it is similar to saying, kill them. They're done. They're canceled. They're over. It's like, Oh, okay. So that means if, Someone comes up to you and they're like, what do you think about Sally? And you're like, oh, they voted for a blank and now we don't talk anymore. You know, whoever asked you that question has the opportunity to welcome that idea in. Maybe I shouldn't talk to that person anymore. Maybe they don't exist to me. You know, they're dead to me. It's just interesting. That's, that's where we've come to. So I used to have this boyfriend and I would, was so obnoxious with him. I would get so angry. I wouldn't know how to communicate properly. And I would say really aggressive things like, do you think that's what a good boyfriend would do? So one of my coaches helped me come up with something called verbal sobriety, where basically I am no longer allowed to use you statements. I can't ask questions when I have an emotion. I can't say, why are you talking to me like that? I can't label him. I can't say that's disrespectful. So basically all I was left was I feel statements. I yep. feel terrified. I feel so frustrated right now. I feel furious. I feel sad. I mean, I know for me, it took me a while to learn to be vulnerable and just say, I feel overwhelmed. <laughs> and it's just feelings. We're just terrified. I, th I know for me, I'm terrified. 
I want humans to be kind to one another and mindful. And I get scared when, you know, I want people to be generous. But then, of course, how generous am I? How much money do I want to give to taxes? You know, how much am I willing to give up of my salary so that everyone can have a livable wage? Now I'm getting scared, you know, so it's just emotional creatures. We are such emotional creatures and we just aren't talking about our feelings these days. We get intellectual. We talk about conspiracy theories. We say they did that. They did that. We want to sound smart. And basically, we're. I think we're all just terrified. We're just scared and angry. And I think anger is a layer over fear. You know, that if you drill down under the anger, I'm just a scared little kid, you know? So, yeah, that's interesting, you know, but when dating, it's not always appropriate to say to someone, I feel scared right now. You know, like after dating someone for six months, I think it's longer. I don't know, but that's, I'm a Midwestern person who's scared to talk about her feelings. Yeah. Or you had a dad who couldn't do it you know, mm-hmm. a mom. So that it doesn't, you don't even have to be from the Midwest. Yeah, yeah, I get that. You're so articulate. So what was your addiction? If you don't mind talking about it? My primary one is sex and love addiction. And mostly probably love addiction, like attachment, like I get very attached to people who are emotionally unavailable or like there's certain guys who are like into you not into you into you not into and I love oh it's such an exciting game it's the you know the casino it's like am I gonna (laughs) like and then after a while you're like I'm losing I'm losing it's like okay but I stay in the game hoping that I get something so recovery has been like learning to just date people who are emotionally available geographically available and Mm. are available to to love me, you know? Um, You said that so well. It kind of makes sense though, just the, that I know about your family, the little bit. It's like your mom said, oh, the sex is totally worth it. So that was planted at 13. This is something to value over the way you're treated. And then your dad wasn't available. So it's like that kind of, you know, I'm not a therapist, but it's like, that would make total sense that you were set up for that, right? I can totally relate to that too. I didn't really have a serious boyfriend until I was like in my early 30s because I was just terrified and I knew I'd make a bad girlfriend because I was so angry at my dad for so long and I could feel the visceral hate and anger I had towards men in general. So I was like, well, that's not going to be good. Let me wait till that kind of subsides a little. And so I just got to know myself before that. But I find people who are emotionally available really boring. So I get that. And I think the underside of boredom is fear. Because what does that mean? Are they going to stick around? You know, there's a great book called Attach, but there's so many books on attachment theory and, you know, how we cope with being loved. What is something that you've learned how to do so that you can see people? You can really see them and be in relationship and in intimacy with them. Well, I think getting sober, like off of sex and love addiction. So I don't have, I don't have sex with outside of a relationship. And I don't go after people. Like if a guy's like, I don't think this is working out. I'm like, okay, bye. Like, I don't say, oh, please. Like, maybe we can make this work. I don't beg or plead. Or like, if it seems like they're not that into me, I I let them go. I used to like 
argue for it or show up unannounced or, you know, just sort of like, (laughs) it's me again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of helped me that landscape of sobriety helped me. Yeah. And I have to say this whole verbal sobriety, which is kind of in line with the Buddhist right speech. I wonder if the Jewish faith, do they have some, something around about speaking and how we speak to one another? It's called the laws of Lashon Hara or evil tongue. And it doesn't just mean like Patsy doesn't know how to dress. It's not that. It's like you can do it with an eye brow. Like someone walks in the room, you look at, you shoot an eye over to your friend. You're like, like that, that's Lashon Hara. Like that there's from that all the way to false testimony in a, in a court of law under oath. It goes, it runs the gamut. I love it. I love it. That reminds me. Yeah. I had a, a thing, <laughs> low rolling my eyes. I can't, rolling my eyes is an indicator. I'm about to lose my temper or like the ire is up and I'm in my darkness. So I think that like everything I can do to be soft and loving towards mm-hmm. myself and mm-hmm. towards my fellows. And so I think that kind of gentleness and softness helps me take in gentleness and softness. I'm not quite there yet with the men I date. You know, this love that Ruth Bader Ginsburg had with Marty, <laughs> like he just loved her. Maybe who knows, you know, who knows the truth of a marriage, but everything seems to indicate that there was a lot of true love there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I did voice this book. At this moment, I am holding up a copy of the children's book, Who is Ruth Bader Ginsburg? I actually do narrate the audio version of this book and feel free to pick it up on audible.com. You go to a kid's library section and you see this on audiobook. That's my voice doing this. (laughs) Oh, wow. And apparently they had a really good relationship. The pictures just tell you that, so... That was fun. I think that during this time, she went to law school married and most women didn't and in, in her day. And then she had two kids. And so she was able to somehow be a lawyer and have small children and work at the Supreme Court. And she, she talks about how, you know, he had cancer and she went through it with him. And that whole period, it was like insane. But I, I guess, you know, they needed each other. Some people get the memo early and they work really. I've seen it. I spend a lot of time with those people because I'm like, what does go into a good marriage? But that's amazing. So what is something you wish you could tell the future generation about healing from addiction and moving forward? Like, what's the message? That it's totally possible, that it's totally worth it. It, it is, there's work involved and it is, however appealing the drug of choices and exciting and, you know, this idea that what goes up must come down and it's not worth it. It is much better to live a life of integrity and kindness and tolerance. That dignity that I get from taking in the wisdom of the elders that is a life I can feel good about. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah. Do you think, I've always thought this, I want to know what you think. Sometimes when I would drive by the AA buildings in LA, cause they were happening like at all hours of the day, you just get so used to seeing people of all kinds of looks and, you know, sizes and shapes, colors. Amazing. They would like walk out of a, 
building, everyone starts smoking a cigarette and you're like, oh, it's the AA meeting. It's like, you get so used to seeing that in LA. I've never known another place to have that many places. I mean, it's LA. It's like city of dreams, right? A lot of broken dreams, or at least it feels that way because I don't think anyone's dreams are really broken if you actually figure out the way to go next. But I'd always have this thought because I was like this born again Jew who like, I went to Israel when I was in my 20s and after going to India and Thailand and Japan by myself, I wound up going to Israel and becoming more religious. And I chose it, right? No one forced me to do it. I was like, this will, this is one of those things that will save me. And now I'm somewhere in between how religious I became at that point and then like growing up completely secular, right? And just eating a bagel and being like, I'm Jewish, I eat bagels. Like that's really what I thought Judaism was. So I'm somewhere in the middle, leaning closer to orthodoxy because I'm fascinated and in love with it. And I think it's like amazing within reason. Like there's certain things that like I don't buy into, but I always feel like I wish I could tell the younger versions of the people coming out of AA, like, please find a spiritual place to go before you overdose. Just go every day to church or a Buddhist temple, or a synagogue, or a mosque, please, like, or wherever you need to go, like, find your community, because sometimes I really wonder, and I don't know if this is true, and I want to know what you think, for those people, could they have cut out all the crap had they been spiritually seeking enough, or in a society that values that enough, to kind of say, which one would you choose? Because I feel like all of those people are now better having gone through that experience because they at least have a place to go every day to talk about all the crap because everyone has crap, whether you're in AA or not. So I don't know. What do you think? Do you think that they could have saved themselves so much pain and suffering had they just had a place to go every day? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Like I, okay. So let's take me at 13 by 13. The addiction was, was pretty much set. And some you can even see it really early, like almost like age three. I think I could tell that I was in trouble with the family dynamic. The brain is picking up all of this stuff, you know, the child's brain. Yeah. So I don't know. It's almost like the course has been set, but then let's say, you have some loving people around and some spiritual kinship that would, if that had come in around 13, yeah, maybe it would have lessened. It would have, I I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know if they've done, if there are cases of people where like, it seemed like they were going in one very bad direction. And then there was this loving entity that came along. I will say the Lutheran church was not, I don't have, I never had any resentment towards the Lutheran church. We were in a very liberal sect, which is like peace and love, kumbaya, gay rights, black, white, like whatever. The ladies at church were really nice, but they were too far removed from our family. Like we, we were living a lie in a way, you know, hi, good morning. Oh, you know, like that sort of like acting like, yeah, dad's in the car. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Do you have like an impression you want to do or do you want to leave us with like one of your awesome monologues about like your ironic, I want, I want to call it an ironologue because like <laughs> everything I've seen of you is just ironic. Like you're playing somebody with a message that we all really need to hear, but it's really kind of like, ooh, that is hard. <laughs> you know, <or> screwed up. 
Well, I, my two favorite characters I've been doing lately are Bonnie Hornfisher, who is, uh, I don't know if you've seen, she's obsessed with hats and also grief. <laughs> yes, so, I probably have. I'm just really bad with names, but okay, okay, go ahead. So she has the big wig, the big wig. Okay, so there's on my Instagram, there's a lady with the wig. And then I've been doing Ruth Bader Ginsburg lately. So if you want to do a voice, you totally can, but no pressure. I don't know what Bonnie Juan Fisher, and so this is Bonnie Juan Fisher. Bonnie Juan Fisher believes that if you are going through a hard time, just, just buy a hat, buy a great hat, and the hat will choose you. The hat, go into a hat store, and the hat, it will call your name, and you put on that hat, and you walk out the door, and you are a new, you are with that hat, and the hat has become you and you are a new, it is a new phase of who you are. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Is she like Roni, Rona and Beverly? I feel like she sounds like she's from, is she from Massachusetts or Brooklyn? I can't tell. She's from Brooklyn. Oh, okay. <laughs> she reminds yeah. me of my grandmother a little bit. My grandma used to say probably something that is not good for a love addict but when I was going through my super religious phase, I would say, grandma, I'm not touching anybody right now. I'm like learning how to go like a little similar to what you went through. I'm like, I just, I go on dates and I don't touch anybody. I just, I actually just talk to them and then I listen to them and we talk about marriage on the first date. And she goes, I know, but just lean on them. I'm like, what do you mean lean on? No, <laughs> grandma, I can't actually sit. It was like COVID. Like I didn't sit next to anybody. <laughs> years I just didn't touch them she's like I know but just lean on them <laughs> Get in there and lean lean a little bit that's how I met your grandfather I leaned on him and he, he was mine that was it I love it I love it she is like such a big part of this podcast because she always saw the good oh I hated my dad for leaving me and abandoning the whole family and everything going up in smoke. I really was so ready to just like never talk to him again. And I, I never did because of her. She would like always say, he never had a mother. He doesn't know how to be a dad. You can't, you can't walk away from him. You have to love him. Mm-hmm. And oh, there was one other thing I wanted to say about anger. Cause I'm reading this book, amazing book now called Dodging Energy Vampires. I don't know if you've heard of it. Mm-mm. Christiane, the, the author, she says, and it's getting me, it's really pressing a couple of my buttons. It's talking about how, because I'm that one of those people too, like when they go low, you go high, like just breathe it out, Buddhist. And she's talking about, I never knew this, but because I always put Buddhists on such a high pedestal, probably because they're always in a high place. But she's saying how vital anger is not to share it in a state of anger, but to let yourself feel it, like really let it come up and bubble over you and then release it. Because what happens is these Buddhists that she's talking about, this one particular sect, they were studied, you know, their health was studied, their physical health. And what would happen is they would only eat rice and like vegetables but some of them would get diabetes and she's like, I don't understand this. Like they're not eating any sugar. This is not supposed to happen. And it only happened when they went into their like kind of priesthood or like going on the mountains. And she said, the reason that the doctors figured it out is that 
they would feel angry and they would, they would hear about a killing or a rape or pillaging or something. And it would go in and then they would try the best that they could to release it without feeling it, like going above it and like pushing it down, like a, like almost like a coffee press. And when they did that, it went into their cells in their body. Wow. I think there's something to that because like we just talked about the Midwestern value of like, keep it nice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I recently, I had to buy all new plates. This is maybe TMI, but I had a horrible dating experience this summer. Just a horrible date. I felt like betrayed and lied to, and I just felt so much anger. And Mm -hmm. I took my plates and I just smashed them one by one. And then I felt much better. I got some gorgeous new French plate, but I think the anger had to come out. And yeah, anger is not bad. It's a sign that there's been a violation and that something needs to be addressed. Yeah. And I like the idea of smashing plates. Like the Greeks have that. We have that. I have a little um, box of a piece of a broken plate from a friend's wedding because when an Orthodox Jewish woman gets married, the mothers are supposed to come together and they break a plate right? Like the husband breaks the glass, but a lot of people don't know this. The mother and the mother-in-law come together before the chuppah and they break a plate. And so whoever gets a piece of the plate, it's supposed to get you married. It's been like 15 years already, but I have it. And I I brought it with me wherever I go. A little broken plate, piece of the plate. So there is something about, in Hebrew, it's called smashing the klipa, smashing the vessel so that the light can kind of get emitted from something negative, something beautiful can happen. Ah, I love it. I love it. That's yeah. great. And the glass is broken because we want to remember the negative, even at the height of the positive. It's so Jewish, right? It's like, <laughs> congratulations, you had a baby without IVF and you're 47. That's incredible. Oh my God. And, you know, the person has to say, yeah, but she's 47. You know what I mean? It's like at that moment, there's always like a, <laughs> a little zip, right? So oh that's so Jewish. And it's it actually comes, I think, from the wedding ceremony because it's like you're about to kiss the bride. For some people, it's for the first time. And what do you do? You break a glass. And it's like, wait, this is so counter. Well, it's because at that moment, and the, and the rabbi usually says it at that moment, the reason we're doing this, so you guys remember, is because we still don't have a temple in Israel. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> Thanks, rabbi. <laughs> Dampening the mood. Anyway, you are so wonderful. And I'm just so glad I got a chance to meet you. This is a crazy way to meet somebody, but... <laughs> This has been a blast. Thank you so much for, for just, trusting me. I'm like, who is that? Like, you don't know how bad I, I mean, you know, you're taking a risk. So thank you. Not at all. I mean, just looking at your monologues on your ironologues on uh, on Instagram, it's like, you have so much talent. You're so funny and so deep. Those things usually go together, but not everyone has the courage to put them together. Mm. So it's like a real joy you know, because we're in the same business. We both want to make the world better through divine comedy, right? And divine expressions of art and speaking and, and singing. And you're doing that. So it's really inspiring. Is there anything you want to promote before you go? Well, I'm doing a video a day, comedy video a day on Instagram. So each day I'll have a new little little something. So that's a cool creative thing, you know, just see what happens each day. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen today but something will happen. So um, that's something to check out on Instagram. Yeah. What's your Instagram handle? It's Cara Buller, K 
K-A-R-A-B-U-L-L-E-R. Okay. Amazing. And she's also just a very talented writer. So look out for her writings that are coming out also. And yeah, Cara, please stay in touch. I want to write a song with you or something. Something ah, silly. You write songs? I, I want to, but I haven't. Yeah. <laughs> you are so funny, Barbara. You are amazing. Thank you. You too. You're welcome. Mwah. Lots of love. I'll see you soon on the other okay. side. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. And here are some life lessons slash takeaways from today's episode. Kara mentioned that making her sister laugh brought her out of depression. You never know what making someone laugh can do for their mental health. Just because someone presents that they're in a really rough spot doesn't mean that you actually might bring them some joy and some light to their day. Great quote by Kara. Do you want to be happy or close? Now, I've always heard, do you want to be happy or right? But I love the idea of instead of being right, why not have more intimacy with another person? Get closer to them. We're so quick nowadays to be like, ugh, I don't like the way they're thinking. I'm going to back up. Beep, beep far away from this person, not learn anything about them, their point of view. Sometimes I think the title of this podcast should be See One Beautiful Soul's Version of Reality or See One Beautiful Soul's Point of View because how wonderful would it be if we all just took a moment to just try to see where someone else was coming from? I mean, wow, what a concept, right? By getting closer to and having intimacy with her father, Kara was able to forgive him. She got to know him even with their differences, and she wound up growing a great deal from that experience. She also said, the cave you fear to enter is the one that holds your treasure. She mentioned once she became sober, she had a better relationship with her dad. She forgave him, and she even was his doula in the last week of his life. So think about that. She felt abused by him as a kid and even as a young adult, and then was able to separate from that, process it in her own way, and then come back towards him, actually like run towards him and be with him and get to know him as an adult capable of managing her own emotions and thus actually giving him one of the biggest gifts of his life, which was allowing him to have some peace as he crossed over to the other side. Now, how many stories have you heard like that? Kara also said, humans are emotional creatures, but we aren't talking about them, meaning our emotions. How are we going to get better if we're putting that aside? So I do think it's better to be talking about our emotions than trying to be right all the time. How often, especially during election season, do you see, because nowadays we see arguments more than we hear them, right? Because we'll see texts or we'll see articles written with actual transcriptions of what people said in interviews or over the phone or in an altercation. And when we look at their dialogue, how often do we see the words, I feel, or I'm getting upset, or you're hurting my feelings or you're stepping on my respect trigger, you know, like we only start to see what makes someone right or more correct instead of actually looking at the facts beneath the surface, which are how a person feels. Think about how the presidential debates would have gone had they just had a little candle that they burned on the side and some sage and maybe took their shoes off around a campfire and actually shared, well, this is how I feel about what's happening in the country, and this is how I want to make it better, versus, well, you did this, and you did that, and this is what people say about you, and this is what other people say about you. Oh, what a nightmare. In terms of recovery, Kara says it's possible, it's not easy, 
but it's totally worth it. And even if you're not someone who is quote unquote getting sober from something specific, because aren't we all in some way, if someone took all of your coping mechanisms away today, regardless of whether it was a traditional way of getting sober, wouldn't you realize that you have coping mechanisms just like everyone else who is in any sort of recovery program? So it's really heartening for me to know that it is possible to heal from your traumas, even the ones that feel really giant. Kara mentioned, maybe it's TMI, but I once took an entire set of plates and started smashing them on the ground because I had this instinct that I needed to do something to break something actually in real time with something that was tangible to hold in my hands. And I thought that is so brilliant. And in fact, there is actually a Jewish custom. There's also some Greek customs where women will take plates and smash them to release the anger or previous mistakes or or bad choices from generations before and let the light shine through. And I know that there is an Asian proverb that says the only way to let the light in is for the vessel to actually have a crack in it. Now, I'm not saying you should go around breaking plates every day, but it is an important lesson to be learned that it is so valuable to appreciate where we are broken, all of our broken parts, and also to really make a space for the anger that might bubble up sometimes to push it down or ignore it or try to meditate it away or think positively and not be in touch with that anger, it can be really dangerous and cause dis-ease in the body. So I highly recommend taking a deep breath, being in touch with what really pains you and makes you angry and that feeling of fire and then releasing it. And now you can do it through painting, you can do it through running, you can do it through, you know, putting your arms out in front of you and like shaking them up and down, jumping up and down. And the jumping jacks actually does the trick for me sometimes, but really get in touch with it and release it instead of, like I said, just completely denying it. Well, how moved, inspired, and opened up are you after today's episode? Wasn't Kara just so refreshing and so real and vulnerable and beautiful and amazing? Ugh, loved, loved, loved having her. So... I am so appreciative that you came to hang out with us today. We know that there's a bunch of things you could be doing instead. Please, 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 pretty please share this episode with someone who needs to hear it. I know you got somebody in your life who needs to hear it. So make sure you copy and share either in a text, an email, on Facebook, tag us, uh, say hi to us on Facebook and Instagram. My Instagram is Barbie Heller. You can also find us at See One Beautiful Soul, the podcast page, and See One Beautiful Soul, the community for the podcast on Facebook. If you'd like to look at the details of all the other episodes, besides finding them in Spotify or on iTunes, you can also go to barbheller.com or c1beautifulsoul.com and find all the information that you need right there. We'd also love to add you to our mailing list. So please feel free to email us at info at barbheller.com or write us on our Facebook pages or on Instagram and say, Hey, I want to be added to the mailing list. And every week you'll get an email saying who's on the podcast and what really cool things we We've got up our sleeves. I want to thank Danny Cohen for introducing me to Cara Buller and of course Katya Soto, my wonderful producer. Thank you for all of your hard work and dedication. You are amazing. This episode was produced by Katya Soto. 
If you know somebody with a great story about forgiveness, failure, or freedom, please share them with us. If you learned something new or feel like something from this episode could inspire someone else, please share the episode on your Facebook page or Instagram and tag that person and tag us too. You can find all of our social medias, drop us a note, or join our newsletter at www.c1beautifulsoul.com. Please don't forget to subscribe and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you hear podcasts. May we all choose to look for the light in ourselves and each other in all ways, always. Always.